Hi, I'm Terry Zabolski, pastor of Grace Community Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I'd like to thank you for listening to this week's message. I hope and trust that God's Word is a blessing to you as you live for Him each and every day. Well, take your Bible. Let's look at uh, Psalm 16. It's a blessed psalm of trust. I have uh, had the privilege in days gone by of teaching all 150 psalms. Uh, I have not preached all 150 psalms. Um, and this is the first time, actually, uh, in a formal preaching setting that I'm actually uh, uh, preaching Psalm 16. It's a song of trust. It's a great psalm. It's one of the great messianic psalms. Uh, it's the third one to occur in the collection. Uh, psalm 2 is the first. Psalm 8 is the second. And Psalm 16, now this is the third. Messianic means that though written uh, hundreds and hundreds of years before the life and ministry and death of the Lord Jesus, it points directly to him. And this one is often quoted, as we shall see in the New Testament, as it ultimately and finally points to him. Now, there's a, a huge typographical error on your handout sheet. I, uh, I uh, you know, when I type my sermon, then I email it out uh, to the guys that get it and to Anna who types it, uh, so the music, they all know where we're headed and all that. And Anna's so faithful, and she typed exactly what I gave her, and it's complete heresy. <laughs> if you, it's complete heresy. I said it in my mind when I typed it, but I, my fingers didn't follow, and I skipped a key word. So lest you think I'm a heretic and you burn me at the stake before I do surgery Tuesday, which I'm not sure. That might not be a bad alternative at this point. Look at Roman numeral 2. Look at B, okay? I'd be all the way across. David, the writing of his own sermon, points prophetically to blank, whose body did not. Please write not in there, okay? Thank you. I don't want to contradict Paul and Peter. Uh, they're pretty, they're the heavies, you know. <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm nothing. And so uh, did not. We'll tell you what that means in a minute. Well, today's a day of celebration for Faith and I, and, and uh, it's good to note uh, the passage of time. It's good to note anniversaries. Thank you for noting my birthday. Sometimes I guess you come to the point where you don't want that noted. I don't know how that is. I celebrate each year. But uh, this, this month will conclude 30 years ago that God uh, engaged Faith and I into ministry. Can you believe it? 30 years ago. I can't believe it. It was June 1979. Now, I don't know what you were doing then. Mark, what were you doing then? You were a dentist. Okay. You know what you were doing in 1970? Who else knows what you were doing? Jerry, what were you doing? You were in high school. <laughs> Anyone else know what you were doing in July 79? Jim, what were you doing? Really? Electrical superintendent for a railroad. There you go. Larry, you didn't know that, did you? Janae, what were you? You weren't born yet. 
You're 11. I was going to say, you weren't even born yet. <laughs> Betsy wasn't, were you, Betsy? <laughs> Anyone else know what you're doing? June of 79. That seems like a long time ago, doesn't it? You were? Before you went up to uh, Hamilton. You went to Hamilton, right? Oh, okay. Harvard. Did you say Harvard? Hardwick. Oh, Hardwick. <laughs> Starts with an H, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, little, church, little church plant, little group of people called Faith and I. I was still in my seminary studies at Grace in Indiana. And we, uh, we went, uh, went down and candidated. The, we were, there was no place to meet. It was a church plant. Can you believe it? There was an outhouse for a restroom. And, uh, and we candidated. It was, uh, it was 100% vote. Imagine that. Well, there's six of them voted. <laughs> Help us out, please. Pass. And we, uh, we went down there, and uh, let me tell you, it's been quite a haul. It has. It's been most interesting. In 19, uh, uh, we, we left uh, everything. I often felt like we felt like Abraham because we left uh, everything that was known and secure. You talk about security. You know, what's safe and secure? Family? Uh, family business, a job, the promise that I would have owned it in a, a very good income, uh, all of that, even a house, it's an old story, we had a house up there we couldn't sell, <laughs> it's an old story, and so we rented it and we, and we just felt the hand of God in our life directing us to leave everything, to pack up, put our f- stuff in storage, take the essentials, and uh, go and begin a three-year full-time Master's of Divinity Studies at Grace Seminary in Indiana, 500-plus miles from home, and even further from Faithy's home in Philadelphia. It had a little uh, tag-along U-Haul, 5 by 8 Only had 50 bucks in my pocket. Imagine that. Everything was tied up in the house. Had nothing, really. And... Uh, and we couldn't even find housing. And that day, there were 500 seminarians, Master Divinity Seminary. It was quite a place. What a thrill. I'll never forget the halls of the chapel with 500 men singing some of the great hymns and, and do it in parts. Oh, my. I'll never forget that. Never heard it since. Um, and, uh, and now, 30 years later, three children... Two granddaughters, beautiful granddaughters. Did you see my granddaughters last week? <laughs> and faith is still with me. I used to tell people, the Bible says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Well, that may mean something to you, but it means something even more to me. And, uh, and that little church grew and became established, and God allowed me to go on, finish a doctorate at Westminster. That was amazing. That was amazing. And uh, then I, so that church, I saw God do some great things, grew us up. We were there nine and a half years, finished the doctorate, went to, uh, to teach uh, in the ministry of training young men for ministry. And four years, full-time contract, associate professor of theology, and uh, had the part in training hundreds, hundreds of men that are scattered all over the world now in pastoring, some are missionaries, and, uh, 
and, and then uh, to, to shepherd a church, a larger church in the area, and be there for 14 years, and, and, uh, and during that time do radio, God had us do radio, and then even TV, Bible teaching. Uh, it still amazes me, the letters that came in from shut-ins, retirees, and prisoners, and, and even some of you, uh, I don't know if some of you here, we used to we even had a call in after and, and could counsel folks and share the gospel with them and God let, let me, uh, allowed me to do some writing and some periodicals and even a little Bible study book and, and God has uh, allowed us to travel and to preach and, and to be in what, five continents, dear? I thought, we thought when we left to go to Indiana to serve the Lord, we were leaving everything. My dad thought I lost my marbles. He wasn't saved then. It was not easy to do. It was not easy. There have been tears. I'd be lying to you if I didn't tell you that. Um, life, life happens. There's loss. There's disappointment in people, right? All may fail, but Jesus never We've learned that in some real special ways. And God is so good. It's been good. And then uh, in 19... In, uh, 19. <laughs> in 2004, January 1, started, God had us to start grace, a sweet fellowship of loving people. And God has carried us. And uh, he's been so good, so we... We celebrate that today and then ask you to join in and celebrate with us God's faithfulness to us. He has led us all the way, and I have ne- we have never looked back, and uh, he has been so good. I mean, we went out, I, I will say, and I, I think I mentioned before, we went to Indiana with 50 bucks. When we finally left, nine, ten years later, I was like 25 pounds overweight. It was a testimony of God's provision. I and I never missed a meal. And you know what? I never slept out in the fields. I always in, God has a way of doing that. And he taught us a whole lot about him, that he's everything. And we're not. It's all about him. And you'd have to kill me to say otherwise. He is Jehovah Jireh. He is good. It is good to serve the Lord. And serve the Lord with all your heart, all your days. There is nothing else. And it's going fast. And it's speeding up. I think it is. It is. Pour your love into your children, the love of Christ. Pour it into you. You only have them for a little bit. And if they're gone, God gives second chances even. Or a second edition, if you will. They're grandchildren. All the time, pour the love of Christ into them. I'm sitting on the deck this week talking to my little granddaughter about who made the flowers, and God made the water, and isn't the Lord wonderful? Let's sing a song all the time. Because pretty soon, old grandpa, won't he'll be out of his mind if he's still here, sitting in the corner drooling or something, right? Or gone, and there are going to be a whole lot of other voices. Or if I'm here, there are a whole lot of other voices. In the university, the media, the culture, friends, they're going to be saying a whole lot of other things, right? Pour yourself into your children and into others. Do it. It's going fast. That's really what it's about. Faith and I are not the only ones in the ministry. Actually, every one of you are. You are. That's biblical. Actually, 
Uh, That's the way it is. And my job is to help equip you, if you know Christ, so that you'll become a discipler, that you'll be mature and pour yourself into others. And if you're not mature, just pour in what you got, and God will give you more and more and more. And if you stop doing it, you're going to stop growing. It's like the Dead Sea. It just receives, never gives out. That's why it's dead. Don't be the living dead. Serve the Lord, and God will give you more. Well, this is a great psalm of trust. So, did you know, here, let's begin here. Did you know that all people everywhere are people of faith? Did you know that? Sometimes you'll hear that. Oh, the people of faith, people of education, people of wealth, people of car. You hear these words, right? Like it's some sort of subset. I got news for you. We are all, every person everywhere is a person of faith. It's true. Think about it this way. Open your mind a little bit and think, because this is the way it really is. It's true. It's not in the same sense. For the vast number of people, wide and broad is the way that leads to hell, the vast number of people, their faith is a misplaced faith, where it's not found in the Lord. Many trust in themselves. Now, I like Emerson's self-reliance. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about, but some of you do. And we ought to develop the skills and the talents and the abilities so that we are independent, but in that independent, always and ever dependent on the Lord. So we go a step beyond Emerson. Okay? Some will put their trust mainly and only in themselves, their own resources, that's my bank account, that's my ability, that's my personality, that's my property, right? Resources. I'm okay, I'm safe, I'm all this. Be careful. That's faith, that's trust. It's misplaced in your abilities or in your senses. Now, senses is that empiricism. That's the, that's the world we live in today. I can't trust anything I can't see, taste, smell, touch, or weigh. That's the world we live in. I don't believe in God because I can't see him. Oh, yeah? Get ready. This empiricism, that's what that is. I have to be able to, I'm the center, I'm the measure, and if it doesn't come to me through the senses, then I reject it. Well, you're not going to turn on the switch because you can't see electricity then, right? You're not consistent. Be careful. That's a misplaced trust. It's trust, but it's misplaced. Well, to do such a thing is to trust in a sinking ship. You ever hear of the Titanic? That's what it is. Disaster's coming. Proverbs 28, 26. If you read the proverb of the day this morning... Uh, the writer puts, he who trusts in himself is a fool. Now, now, you ought to have some confidence in your abilities. He's not saying that. But ultimately and finally, it's in the Lord Jesus Christ that we trust. In him alone. Ultimately and finally. Well, David writes this beautiful song of trust, expressing his confidence in the Lord for both life and death. Such trust in the Lord renders him utterly content. It's beautiful. It's utterly beautiful. This short little 11-verse psalm. 
When we put our trust in the Lord, we too enjoy the sweetness of contentment. We're going to talk about contentment because it, uh, it, it's all over this beautiful song, contentment. And oh, what a lack thereof there is in our day. No matter what befalls us, we can be content. We know the Lord is in charge and he does all things well, both in our lives now and after the darkness of our death. He does all things well. You can rest content. We had a verse some time ago, Psalm 20, verse 6. Remember that? Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And so we can know that. Well, two reasons in the psalm why we should put all our trust in the Lord For we, like David, know that uh, the Lord alone is trustworthy, both now and forever, forever. He alone is trustworthy. Everything else is passing away. The world and all that is in it is passing away and will be changed with a cataclysmic change, uh, 2 Peter 3 writes about. We are to trust in him. He is our anchor, our Masada, our high tower, in two reasons. Why? Simply, Roman number one, the Lord is our portion throughout all of life. He is our portion. And second, Roman number two, the Lord is our deliverer. That's another word for Savior. He's our deliverer in death, verses 9 to 11. So put all your trust in him. Let's look at the first reason. The Lord is our portion throughout all of life. Let's read our psalm. Verse 1, keep me safe, O God, David writes, for in you I take refuge. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you I have no good thing. As for the saints who are in the land, they are all the glorious ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who increase will run after other gods. I will not pour out their libations of blood or take their names upon my lips. Lord, you have assigned me my portion in my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the grave. Nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with the eternal pleasures at your right hand. Well, the first reason why you and I can put all our trust in the Lord is, is that he is our portion throughout all the days of our life. He is. That's what David is saying. He is. In verse 1, David summarizes this, this brief little psalm with a simple expression of faith. Keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. Again, his faith is not in himself. 
It's not in his prowess, his strength, his opportunities, but is ultimately and finally in the Lord. David had come to trust the Lord in life. You see, things like this just don't occur to us. We don't just stumble into this. But uh, usually what they are is like exercising. God develops our muscles of faith and trust through hard times, through those times of being stretched to the limit when you feel like, I can't be stretched anymore. I can't do any more. And it's during those times of utter weakness when we discover again how weak and puny and frail we really are that God begins and continues to build the muscles of faith so that we trust him. He gives us the desire, he gives us the faith, and he develops those so we end up with a nice six-pack of muscles or, or biceps. We talk about the guys say, well, those guns. A man of faith, a mighty warrior of faith, has mighty faith in God to trust him and to keep his eyes fixed on him and him alone. Well, that was David, you know. David just wasn't born this way. David, uh, through the experiences of his early years, and developed the, this sense of trust. And, and maybe now you're in the midst of a trial or trouble or heartache or loss. I remind you, God is up to something. He's developing you. It's not just down at the Y or at LA Fitness. God is developing something far more important, muscles of faith, to be trust him. To say what David said, and keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. David knew what that was. Well, how did he? As a shepherd, remember? He, he said in the text, a lion came and you delivered him. I, I smote him. The good King James, I love that there, smote him. <laughs> And the bear came, and I whooped him too. I don't know about you, but wrestling a bear is not my idea of fun. I don't know that it's usually bears, one, you know, Terry nothing. And those is, <laughs> and it's not the Chicago team I'm talking about there. Because you can't even score one in football. Um, David learned as a young boy, guarding the sheep, that God was great. And that he heard his prayer. And he began to trust him. And then that grew with Goliath, right? Then he was ready for, he graduated to the to second grade then, right? Although that was a big experience, no pun intended. He, and he went out there and all the other, oh, we, we can't take that guy on, he's too big, you know? Here's Saul hiding in the tent. He's the tallest guy on the team. He's hiding, Right? And it went on for 30 days. What an embarrassment. All the mighty men of valor are hiding, you know, cowering. Oh, here comes David, right? Wait, wait, whoa, I, I've, I'm learning to trust him. I'm trust, I've, got some, I've got some guns here. They're not as big as they will be, but I've, he's my safety. He's, my, he's our rock. And he goes out. And don't you love that when David and Goliath, the text says he ran towards him? That's amazing. I don't know if I would have done that. I think I would have worked my way down the hill into the valley. You know, <laughs> he thought, this is the valley of the shadow of death. Here it goes. No, hey, I mean, he ch it's charge. Boom. There he goes. Falls down. Well, we have giants, right? Giants in the land, giants in your life. You're like, I'm dead. I'm done. God wants to develop. You're not done. God is orchestrating all the details of your life. We're going to see this. In the psalm, he sets all the boundaries, 
All the things in your life and mine, all our days, your personality, your skills, your abilities, your opportunities, they're not from you. You're not a genius. Look at yourself. Have you looked at yourself recently? You're not a genius, believe me. Nor am I. And this is not count your lucky stars and quit pounding on wood. Somebody did that to me the other day. Well, hopefully you come through this. You know, I go, what is that, a new tune or something you're playing? Uh, something there? You know, trust God. <laughs> Forget that crazy. God is the one who establishes us for his glory. Whether we live this long or that long, it matters not. If you know the Lord, the best is yet to come. It is. If it wasn't that way, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't tell you that. David learned that. Then fleeing from Saul. How about that? He's on the lamb for like 10 years. How about, Lord, where are you here? I'm, living, I'm eating, you know, uh, wild berries and honey, hiding in the cave. The king hates me, wants to kill me. He's jealous. He doesn't like the radio top 10 song of the day, right? Saul has killed his thousands, but David is ten thousands. Saul wasn't humming that tune. He, he Actually, you know, he killed the DJ whenever it came on the radio. He hated that song. He's like, I, I know what I'm going to put him out of business. And uh, he was on the lamb. He was like, Lord, what are you doing here? And it, we're good for the short runs, aren't we? Who can run the 100 yard? Well, we'll all send. How about the, how about the two mile? Well, a few of us. How about a marathon? Maybe only you, Mark. And the last one, you, you got sick and couldn't do. Maybe Rachel, right? That's it. That's it. We're not good for the long run. Ten years. It's like Joseph. How many years was he thrown in jail? Almost forgotten about. Lord, you've forgotten about. We think that, don't we, Aaron? You're like, how long is this going to take? God's waiting room. We're all a bunch of wimps in there. Like, I can't do this. I'm faint. Well, God's building us up. Come on, get a grip. Don't you love that? Paul closes one of his epistles. He says, be men. Would you quit being a wimp? Be a man. That's what he says at the end of Corinthians. Check that out. Be a man. <laughs> I read that so, okay, Lord, I'm going to do that. <laughs> oh, to get some starch and stand up straight and be men of faith and women of faith and trust God. David learned that, developed strength, fighting the Philistines and so on. His strength, his refuge. And ours is the same. It's not in ourselves. It's in the Lord. B, David recognized that his Lord was the source of all goodness in life and the life that he enjoyed. His family, his talents, even the ability to use a slingshot. How about that? Talents, his wealth. Boy, he was wealthy. God made him wealthy. His position in life became king. His father didn't even think he was going to be king. Some of your, we said that last time with Father's Day. Some of your fathers were losers, and they tried to pass that on to you. Uh, you'll never amount to anything. Look at you, you know. <laughs> well, coming from you, uh, it's no wonder, you know, you feel like saying that. You don't say, what's that? Get over here. You know, you don't want to say that. But uh, that happens to them. But, you know, Samuel comes by his house. He says, one of your sons is going to be king. And, you know, his dad runs all the boys in front of him. And uh, Samuel keeps saying, it's none of these. It's none of these. It's none of these. Don't you have any others? Oh, yeah, we do have another one. You know, where is he? Yeah, he's, out, he, you know, he's the runt. 
You know, his, even his father didn't even have, you know, he's, he was his tenth choice. Didn't he have nine brothers? I think so. He was tenth of ten. He said, yeah, get him. Bring him in. But smelled like the sheep. Run. He's going to be the king. And David recognized that even his position as king, he didn't aspire to it. The thought never even entered his mind. God gave him the position. It's the same thing in our lives. You think it's any different? It isn't. You think God only cares about kings of Israel of yesteryear? No way. There's not one molecule that moves apart from his predetermined will. Your life and the fact that you live now and have the opportunity in life and in business and in family, that's all of God's doing. The talent, skills, and ability. And some of you have gone a lot of years to school. God gave you the desire, the health, the ability to do that for his glory. And some of you are, you know, you're tireless in your home, the way you take care of uh, uh, of us, and, and that's of God, to God's glory, and, and we thank you and love you for that. It's all of God's. All the goodness in life is what he's saying. Re- look at that in verse 2. You are my Lord, and apart from you I have no good thing. It's true with us. Look at C. Uh, David's love for the Lord caused him to love God's people, and that's the way it is. As for the saints, He's not talking about people that are dead and pronounced saints by the Pope or someone. The saint is, a, is, a, is one who's redeemed. Is a godly man or woman. Someone who's redeemed. The New Testament's the same way. Those that are set apart. That's what the word means in the Hebrew. Those that are the set apart ones. Same in the New Testament, Greek. The set apart. For the saints who are in the land. What does he say? David's love for the Lord caused him to love God's people. He had a love for God's people. And, and also, the opposite of that, there was a disdain for those who robbed the only God that is of his glory by worshiping false gods. He would not even mention the name of these false gods that do not exist, that Corinthians says are even the worship of demons. It's not that we hate people that worship like um, Allah, today we hear much about Islam. There's no God of Allah. Muhammad, he's been long gone. He's dust and ashes somewhere in his soul. Well, the Lord knows where that is. I don't like to preach anyone into hell. But uh, there's only one God. His name is the Lord and his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. And David said, listen, uh, my love for the Lord gives me an incredible love for God's people. And that's the way it ought to be. You ought to have a great love for God's people. We ought to have sympathy and sadness for people outside of the family of faith. And we ought to try and reach them and love them enough to share with them by life and voice the truth of the gospel. True. True, we should. Michael Jackson, I mentioned him. I have no hope that he was saved. I really don't know. But uh, my, it breaks my heart to see such a tragic loss of, of a man who could have had such an influence and could have been lived a full life, we say humanly, but died in such a sense. It's, it needs to touch your heart and break your heart. It was a tragic, twisted life of bad decision, satanic, uh, dominated Anything of the glory, anything but the glory and grace of Jesus there. And it's sad. It breaks our heart. It should. 
And so what are we saying? Look on your sheet. It's a simple test. Do you love other Christians? Do you find it good to be with them? That's part of the reason for gathering Sunday morning, Hebrews tells us, that we might encourage each other. Provoke and stimulate, not provoke in the bad sense, he provokes me. No, it's the idea of stimulating, encouraging one another unto faith and good works. And we look for each other, need each other, and depend on each other. That's the God's purpose of a gathering, of a church, of the body of Christ. And at the same time, do you find it uncomfortable to be with those who sin openly? Are you troubled by their values and shocked by their desires and repulsed by their blasphemies? They'll cuss the name of the Lord out, won't profess to believe in them, but they'll, like my aunt, she used the Lord's word in about every third sentence, used to kill us. Yet we had great pity for my aunt Jean. I have no hope that she was saved. She died couple years ago, after living 80s, a long time, a lot of years, but uh, was spiritually blind to witness to all her life, uh, but uh, used to kill us like a knife in our heart every time she would use God's wonderful name to us, and she wasn't even aware she spoke like that. Does, does that find you uh, discomfort? Uh, or are you right at home? Are you like Peter? That Jim Boyce writes, are you like Peter, uh, who had no difficult warming his hands by the fire, those who hated Christ? They're in Caiaphas's uh, courtyard. There he is. The Lord's arrested in there. He could see him. They're cussing out and doing this and hated Christ, and here's Peter, right? We could do that. Shame on us. We ought to have a great love for God's people. Well, you ought to do that. Work on loving each other. Love each other. Speak, uh, speak the truth to each other in, in, uh, in love. That's what we ought to do. Well, David catalogs in verses 5 to 8 uh, the present blessings. We said the Lord is our portion throughout life. He is. In verse 5, look what he writes. Lord, now he's speaking directly, direct address to the Lord. Lord, you have assigned me my portion, my cup, you have made my lot secure. So there are three mys there, if you want to underline it. He has my portion, my cup, and my lot. Three metaphors, really. They're figures of speech that are talking about the present blessing of uh, David's present physical needs. The Lord has abundantly provided all of his physical needs in life. My portion and my cup. It points to portions or rations of daily food. And here's the key now. By extension, it refers to all the necessities of life. My portion and my cup. In other words, just my basic food to live. But then by extension, Lord, thank you, all the physical necessities and then well beyond that we enjoy. The things of physical life. Thank you, Lord. Now, if you're thinking, and you should be, it's the same thing that the Lord taught his disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Remember that? Give us today our daily bread. Remember that? That's what he's talking about. Well, is that we just get, here's your loaf of bread, you know, here's your bagel, you know, it's Jewish, right? Here's your bagel, 
<laughs> Here's your French baguette. Don't you like that? Warm with butter. Oh, man. Uh, anyway, uh, is that it? Do we just get a piece of bread? Yeah, yes, but it's, it's, a, it's speaking in a minimizing way, meaning that, and then all the other necessities of life that sustain life. That's what David is saying. Lord, you are the one that has done that. You're my portion in life. I've learned to trust you. Look at the, what you've given. You've set this bounty before me. It's amazing. One of the things I love about Faithy is that she'll make, when she makes a meal, holy macaroni, and it's well beyond macaroni. I mean, it, that place is decked out. And uh, I'll, I'll get, I get all excited for hours before, you know, she, she, she pulls it out and serves and and we eat and eat and eat, eat more, and then we repent later. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, it is a bountiful thing that she does. And uh, now the kids are gone. I sort of wonder if I'm on the meal plan anymore. But when they come home or we have folks over, she doesn't. Well, it's still, <laughs> hey, we ought to have some more folks over here, you know. <laughs> you think it's because I want you over there, right? That's what you're thinking. <laughs> it just occurred to me, honey, I wasn't thinking that before. <laughs> But the bounty, well, God's like that. And David's saying, look, the Lord sets this bounty before me. And don't you think it's not true in your life? He does. And we ought to count our blessings and see that. You, you have assigned me. Notice he's sovereign. Yours is different from mine. And mine is different from yours. And, and uh, he is the one, through his protection, has made all of that secure. Isn't that great? As we learn to trust him, he doesn't. Look at the second uh, blessing in life, uh, verse 6. The Lord has caused, David says, the general circumstances of my life to be most pleasant. The boundary lines, there it is. It's sometimes called the boundary lines, Psalm. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance now, you know your Old Testament well enough to know that there was a time in Joshua's day where the boundary lines by lot were, were given out to the tribes and to their families. Yeah, you take that section, and you have that over there, and the tribe of Dan, and Ephraim, and Manasseh, and Judah, and Benjamin. You know, they, they determined by lot and God's direction the the inheritance, the land, the land, the land. That's the idea that David has in mind. He's saying, Lord, the, the boundary lines have fallen for me. And so what's he mean in this beautiful figurative language? He's saying, the general circumstances of my life are most pleasant. God established and establishes all the boundaries. That is, his portion in life though he's had sorrow, and he has. And we know that with Absalom and others. Of course, his own repentance and sin and God's forgiveness. But overall, it's good. Circumstances are good. He is filled with contentment. Isn't contentment a wonderful thing? You know, if you seek to find it, you'll never get it. It's elusive. You'll never find it. It's slippery. It's uh, like a watermelon seed. It's got sl they're slimy, right? Can't quite get a hold of it. You'll never get it. But if you trust in the Lord and walk with Him, He will give that to you as a fruit of doing that. 
and you will be satisfied. You will, I promise you. Whether your life is this long or that long, it doesn't matter. The quality of your life will be pleasing. It will. I'm not saying you'll not have tears. You will. For in this life, there's sorrow, and there's many reasons for aches and pains and heartaches and loss. But in and through it all, he will carry you through such times, and you will say, he is good. It is sweet. The boundary lines also for me have fallen in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. You, you will say that, I promise you. You will, for God sets all the boundaries. I told you before, I take such great comfort in the distances of the sun, 93 million miles from, from the earth. It's exactly where it needs to be. Any closer, we would burn up. Any further away, we'd be ice cubes. And the moon, at 200 and a quarter million miles away, exactly where it needs to be. The length of days, exactly the length of days. Our bodies, the way they work, the immune systems, everything, exactly the way God designed it and ordered that. Exactly. It's incredibly wonderful. The closer you look at all of life, God sets all the boundaries. The fact that each one of us live at such a time and in such a great country as this. Great because of the freedoms that we still enjoy. It is. It's marvelous. I worry a little bit because Americans are sloppy and we tend to be lazy. We're not working hard like former generations and we could easily lose it. We could. There's an entitlement mentality that troubles me, that somehow I, I'm an American, and I just show up, and I deserve the best or all. Oh, it scares me. That's not the way it's always been. That's sloppy, lazy, undisciplined, ungodly thinking. And so I pray, and so we need to pray for our country. But we have freedom together. Isn't it great? We have men and women that put themselves on the line and protect us. And they're watching for all sorts of enemies, both, both foreign and domestic. I'm grateful for that. Freedom of speech yet, press, and the freedoms we enjoy. Praise God for that. I'm thankful. And the circumstances of our life is, uh, are good, and we bless God for that. Job 14.5 tells us that man's days are determined. He has determined them all. And he gives the gift of contentment for all of us as we look forward, today and forward. You need not fear. Rest in him. I do not fear the surgery Tuesday, if the Lord should let me have that and live that long, no matter what befalls me. Hear me say that to you. I'm thankful, actually. I wish I would have had it a month ago to get it done. But I do not fear that. I trust the Lord totally. Um, you know, we say, and uh, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep, and if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Well, isn't that a beautiful little uh, uh, children's uh, bedtime prayer? The reality of it is, is if I don't awake from the sleep, the Lord will take me, and I will be more alive than ever. And uh, if he should allow me to see it through there and be able to run the 50-yard dash again, uh, I, uh, I look forward to that and uh, to continue to minister his word and count it a privilege to do that. 
I do not fear that. The Lord has carried me and fed me and watered us and, and graced us and blessed us all these years. And so I trust in him. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But I, but we, trust in the name of the Lord our God. And I do. I do. Faith is the victory. That's not about my dear wife. Well, that's a beautiful song, honey. Faith in the Lord. Trust in him. Why? He's our portion in life. Third, quickly, the Lord provides counsel for his children. That's what he means when he says in uh, verse 7, I'll praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. See, he he had memorized some of God's word. He's talking about God's wonderful word. It is the word of the Lord, and he, uh, we have that. Contentment and counsel. Oh, one thing I wanted to say about contentment, uh, if I could back up just a second. We live in such a discontented age. Some man, one man wrote discontentment is one of the most striking characteristics of our day. He goes on to say, baby boomers are not content because our expectations are so much higher than reality. We tend to become discontent, restless, and bored. The Lord is the only cure for this. David is content with what God has meted out to him, and so should we. God gives us three, the word, and what a wonderful thing that is, to hide that into our heart and to quote that during the darker days. And fourth, the Lord is always with us. If that wasn't enough, God meets all our needs. He lays out the pleasant boundary lines. He speaks to us through his word, but he promises to go with us, to go with us. My little granddaughter kept saying, play with me, Papa. I was in my study. She dragged me out. Play with me, Papa. Be with me. Pray with me. She wanted her Papa with her, right? And I thought, I'm going to be with her. She's going to leave here soon. The Lord is always with us, always. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Therefore, we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. That's what David is saying here. He says in verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me. He is at my right hand. I'll not be shaken. Oh, what a catalog of blessing this portion in life our Lord is. Learn to trust him, I say to you. Learn to grow your muscles of strength, your muscles of faith, leaning only upon him. He is trustworthy, and he alone is worthy of your trust through the days of life. But David doesn't stop there. He goes on and he looks forward, as we should. We who look back at the cross and our Savior, look at the days of our life and remember what God has done, find strength for today, and, and, and have the contentment that God wants us to have. And let me say, he wants you to be content. You know that? Just as a good mom or dad wants their children to be content, it's a terrible thing to know that your children or grandchildren are not content with the immediate circumstances of their life. You can't sleep at night then. It's, it's very disconcerting for, for a dad or grandparents or, or mom uh, in, in that the Lord wants us content. He wants you content. And he wants to teach you contentment in him. 
But then David looks into the future in verses 9 to 11, and we see the second reason why we should put all our trust in the Lord. The Lord is our deliverer even in death. Verse 9, Therefore my heart is glad, David said, and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the grave, he's looking forward, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. Now he's still looking forward. You have made known to me the path of life. You will, its future, fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. He's looking down to, uh, to his days in heaven. A the, A, the dire circumstance confronting David in this, he puts his trust in the Lord to deliver him from death. Uh, even, and even if he dies, and we don't know, God knows all these things, he knows that it is the Lord who will deliver him even from the grave. That's what he's saying in the first part of, of verse 10. It's an amazing verse. It's a startling claim, actually. The first half, that David expresses his living hope that he would be preserved after his death from the grave. Because you'll not abandon me. You'll not leave me. They may put my body in a tomb. And when I was in Israel, the number of times, six, six times or seven, we went to, there are a couple of traditional sites, tomb of King David, and they said this is where David's uh, burial uh, uh, in his crypt is, and that's where his bones are, and uh, if that's so, you never quite know in some of those circumstances, because they, they charge you money, and it's a little moneymaker thing, and they are sort of Jewish folks. And so they know how to make money. We pay our shekels and go in and see it and stand it on and say, well, Lord, maybe this is it. Maybe this is it, right? And if that's the case, his bones are dust still in that thing. And verse 10a has not happened yet. He is still there, but there's coming a day when he will not be abandoned to the grave. And then the second half of this amazing verse, nor will you let your Holy One See decay. Well, A, number one, let's look at that first. Because David had learned to trust the Lord in his life, he could now trust him in the face of death. You see, he had developed the muscles to be able to do that, the muscles of faith. Now, some of you need to grow up. You don't know what's going to befall you. If you're not learning to walk with the Lord and trust Him in a grown-up way, when trouble befalls you or a bad word from the doctor or an accident hits one of you, you're going to be a mess. It's hard enough, and we shed tears, don't we? But you, you're not going to be ready, humanly speaking. David said, well, I can do this. I can do this. I know the Lord. I've walked with him all these years. It's sweet. It's good. And you've got to see me through this. It's the valley of the shadow of death. But if he doesn't, that's okay too. It's like Paul. For me to live is Christ. To die is gain. It's okay. He's going to deliver me even from death. I've learned to trust him. Psalm 141 verse 8. Jen, do we have that down? 141 verse 8. Look what the psalmist writes. 
But my eyes are fixed on you, O sovereign Lord. In you I take refuge. Do not give me over to death. It's a beautiful verse, uh, expressing the same hope that David had. We'll get to David reasoned that his present fellowship with God would not be interrupted by his death, but would continue after the grave. Remember now, here's the amazing thing. He lived long before the life of Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection, like a thousand years before Jesus. We look back and we go like, oh yeah, we know that. We know how that works. We, yeah, the empty tomb, Easter, yeah, we gather on Sunday, we remember that. We kind of, we, okay? So we kind of like, oh yeah, it's, it's, the dots are all connected for us. Not so with David. He's looking into the future, has not seen an empty tomb with a Savior coming forth on the third day in his bodily resurrection. And he says, there's going to be a resurrection. God's going to deliver me. But more than that, prophetically, he's going to point forward here uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ. But look at number three first. We too can have the same confidence and contentment in the face of grim possibilities if we all trust the Lord and grow in that trust and walk with him. For he's our portion in life, he's our deliverer even in death. For B, David, though writing of his own circumstances, and he is, I say that with underline, I was one time in Caiaphas' house, and there was a group around us, and I think he was uh, our uh, Armenian uh, pastor with his people, and they were like praying Psalm 16 all the way through, and he came over and chided me a little bit, saying, the whole thing speaks only and ever of Jesus. And I, I took a look at it, and I, and I thought to myself, hmm, I'll have to study that. I never thought of it that way. I, I do not think he's right. There are some people that do that and, 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 and force it in that direction. I do, I do not think so. There's a near and far reference here David is speaking mostly throughout the psalm of his own circumstances in the psalm of trust. But in that, there is a far reference prophetically to the greater David, to the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, in 10b, where he says that his bones will not even see decay. And so I see at least that much of it referring to the Lord Jesus this miracle, and that was a miracle, that is, while Jesus' body lay in the tomb for three days, awaiting his resurrection on that early Sunday morning of that wonderful week, his bones did not putrefy, begin to rot like all who have ever died before him and after. It was a miracle. Man couldn't do it, but God could, who made all things and holds all things together. This miracle was preached by both Peter... In the first sermon of the church in Acts chapter 2, I have it on your sheet, and Paul also preached it at a synagogue in Antioch, referring to the Lord Jesus. In fact, don't you love Peter? He's preaching on Acts 2. He cites this verse, talking about the Lord who has just been resurrected, ascended into heaven, and he said, certainly it's not David. His bones are over there. He's speaking of another, even the Lord Jesus, of this. And that's why it's a messianic psalm. It's a wonderful psalm. And therefore, in view of all of this, because God is trustworthy, because God is our portion in life, our deliverer in death, in view of all this, we can say with Paul with a hearty amen, Romans 14a, 
So whether we live or whether we die, we belong to the Lord. Isn't that great? Well, what are some lessons for our life? Let's look at number one. I wonder, I have to ask, do you have a misplaced faith? You may have. Maybe you're trusting your good works. Say, well, I, you know, I, yeah, I believe that Jesus stuff, but I'm trying to be good too. If you're doing that to, to, so that God will let you into heaven, you're lost. You've got to clearly see that you are born lost under the weight of sin and death, for the wages of sin is death. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. This is a clear teaching of the Bible. You may have a misplaced faith. It's not your personality. It's not anything about you. It's all about him. Anything about us is the bad news. Me too. Don't have a misplaced faith. Realize your condition. You're lost in sin. Come to Christ and be saved today. You know you can do that. The Lord Jesus, be merciful unto me a sinner. Most important single thing that ever takes place in your life. Many of you, that's true. You've, you've trusted Christ. You're living for him. But some of you probably haven't. Come to Christ today. I urge you, I beg you. You have no guarantee. Number two. Number two, grow up in your trust of the Lord Jesus by having a simple childlike faith. You know that? The way up is the way down. In more ways than one, it is. Grow up in him by having a childlike faith that believes. God said it, I believe it, and that's it. Put the period right there. Childlike faith. It's amazing. Do you remember as a kid, maybe your folks told you about Santa Claus, big fat guy, ate cookies, you know, you know the deal. You remember? He signed your Christmas presents, love Santa. I don't know, I, I did pretty good when I was a little kid. I did really good. I, I believed in him. And when I was sort of getting skeptical, I didn't know if I wanted to let the cat out of the bag, thinking, you know how that works. Yeah, I kind of want it. If, if, I, if, if I were to think there isn't and there really isn't, does that mean the good days, you know, the good times stop happening? <laughs> right? But for a lot of years, you're like, oh, yeah, Santa, this and that, and that kind of thing, right? And the, and the tooth fairy, I used to get a quarter for every tooth. I tried pulling one out with a string on a doorknob one time. I did, yeah. My brother, it broke the string, and my tooth was just kind of pointing this way a little bit. Uh, tooth fairy, yeah, right. Well, kids believe simple things that are told by their parents, right? It's not, it's not hard. It's not rocket science. God said it, and that ought to settle it. Keep your eyes fixed on the Lord. Peter, drop your net on this side. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. We've been out all night. There's no fish out there. Nevertheless, Lord, at your... Don't do that like that, right? All right, you should have thrown the net right in. Okay, over there, Lord. Yeah, you got it. That's the way we ought to be. Men and women of faith. Childlike faith. Grow up in him. Trust him. And when bad news, Lord, just, I trust you. Get on your knees. Lord, I give it to you. I trust you. I have nowhere else to go. 
They said, well, will you also leave? Lord, where else will we go? You're the one that has the words of life. Peter answered rightly there. That was when the crowds were thinning out and they all left him. Will you also leave? He's the one that has grow up in your faith by maturing and having a childlike trust. Number three, find the treasure of contentment in life. It's a treasure. It is. It's not bigger, better, best. It's not get your name in lights. It's not all the stuff and all the junk. It isn't. And if you, if you try and chase all that stuff, so you're going to chase all that and you'll never be content. Haven't you learned that yet? Have you ever waited and waited and waited and finally got something? You just couldn't wait for it and said, this will be it. I'm, I'm finally going to arrive in the Beulah land, right? Whatever that is. We used to sing that. I don't know what that was. It means heaven. It means you finally arrive. And, and you get it, and about two weeks later, you toss it in the t- corner. Well, what's this? Uh, why do I waste so much time? And then it's something else, something else, something else. That's not it. It will never provide contentment. Some are single. Think if I just got, uh, uh, I got, I got a mate, I'd have everything. Get ready. Don't get the wrong one. <laughs> You'll be in deep trouble. Contentment. You walk with the Lord and God will bless you with the fruit of contentment. I don't care if your arms are falling off. And nothing works anymore. Listen to Joni Erickson Totter last week on the radio. What a sweet, blessed woman. She, nothing works very well in her body. Nothing. She, and when she sings and she teaches, it's like the voice of an angel from heaven. God has used her so much in so many people's lives. And she just exudes with contentment, joy, and, and ever looks forward to the joy of heaven. And her song, don't you love, Waltzing with Jesus. She sees a day when she'll be completely brand new and be able to walk and to dance in the joy of the Lord. Beautiful. Contentment. Contentment. I'm not saying be lethargic. I'm not saying don't be ambitious. I'm not saying don't have goals and go for that. But always and and ever and finally, walk with the Lord and let him bless you and find contentment in him. It's the fruit of walking in faith with him. Number four. Learn to trust the Lord Jesus by having a childlike faith. Yeah, I must have thought of that enough. I put it in twice. (laughs) Did you get the end of that too, Jenny, on that? Let me me read what I wrote. Learn to trust in the Lord... uh, Learn to trust the Lord in the easy days of life. You know, there are days of ease, the easier days. The pleasant days, the days when it's going well, you know, so-called circumstances. So, here's the point, number four, when the dark days come, and I promise you they will, you'll, be, you'll already know what it is to walk holding his hand. I was waxing a little poetic there. But learn to trust him in the easy days of life, so when the dark days come, you will already know how to hold his hand because that's what you've been doing. Trust him. Grow. And finally, number five, remember God and God alone 
has established all the boundary lines of life. All of them. Every one of them. In all the details. David's psalm of trust. Isn't it great? Wonderful. Trust and obey, for there's no other way. 